loving anger always seeks to do a surgical strike on the evil. If you love, really truly love, say, your teenage or your adult child, and you see them being an idiot, you want to destroy the idiocy, not the child. That's ordered love. That's, that's good. I mean, that's, that's anger the way it should be. But in disordered anger, you don't go after the problem, you go after the person. You don't just want to rest, do restitution and justice, you want vengeance. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our study on the subject of anger as we continue in our series looking at this, the proverb a day in May. In this message from Timothy Keller, we'll break down a subject of asking the question, when is it appropriate to be angry and yet sin not? It's a very difficult question, and that's why we turn to the book of Proverbs. Stay tuned for that, but first, we're talking a little bit about missions here in New England of the Northeast as we're joined by a missionary, Matt Rhodes, talking about how there's no shortcut to success. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. I've been to a lot of conferences here in New England, a lot of them that are focusing on strategies on how to reach New Englanders, or in more specifics, how to grow your church. And they often come from speakers from around the world and around the United States and uh, across areas of the United States that are very different than New England. In fact, I, I, I often feel after leaving those conferences that that I was given a message that just won't work within our context. A lot of pastors that come here with strategies that have worked in California or Texas or or somewhere in the South or the Midwest with great ideas, great strategies that certainly work within their context, but when applied to New England, have seemed to fall on their face. That can leave us rather discouraged. In fact, it has left many discouraged and why uh, many feel that the problem is insurmountable. I don't believe that for one minute. I believe that there is opportunity all around us to reach people for the sake of the gospel. But we have to consider and ask the right questions, and we need boots on the ground. We need people that have done ministry here in New England to figure out what are the best strategies for reaching our own neighbors for Christ. That's why I'm excited to be joined once again today by Matt Rhodes, who's written a book called No Shortcut to Success, a manifesto for modern missions. And Matt, one of those things that I've noticed is that a strategy that works somewhere else in the world may not work here. What we really need is for people to sit and listen and and observe in their own context what is effective in this area. We need to hear from those who have, have done great work here in New England, as opposed to outsourcing our ministry to somewhere else. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not familiar with the, with sort of the issues of ministry you encounter in New England directly, but it makes a lot of sense to me, because I think one of the things that sociologists are telling us is that the, the United States is becoming not only culturally, but far more geographically divided as well. And so the blue states are far bluer than ever before. Red states are far redder than ever before. And where I am in coastal California, maybe maybe it's a different flavor of, um, you know, of, of difficulty in, in sharing the gospel with people. But people just have a whole different set of questions than they did when I was a kid. What, is, what do you propose, then, is the way for us to, as you say in the book, correct the course, to get back on track? If we have uh, kind of given in to strategies that are uh, pragmatic without actually being biblical, what is the way to correct the course and to, to focus in on a strategy that is biblical? Uh, on our liberal coasts, for example, <laughs> yeah. or, or, or more widely speaking. Well, in, in general, I think uh, your your book here is addressing the, the modern uh, take on missions. So 
Um, obviously here I'm thinking in our personal context, but I think globally as well, we need to be considering how to, uh, kind of readjust our, our sights on what, what missions is, uh, how it actually is measured and the success that we are seeking. Yeah, I think, I, I think I understand where you're, where you're coming from. To me, what's key is that in the scriptures, God almost always works supernaturally to reveal himself but works through human means <clears throat> and so we need to to really value those human means that i am going to win people to christ in human friendships through answers to human questions in human languages with human persuasion and i i think part of why we're you know losing ground locally maybe is because that the culture has changed so rapidly and we're struggling to keep people in churches. So most of the books that are being written now about issues that are of concern to people are just trying to define what the Bible says and to keep the church orthodox. We, you know, I think we're a step behind actually reading out, reaching out to the wider society and saying, this is why it's not just biblical. This is an attractive message. It's a good message and a true one. Um, and certainly overseas as well. I, I think that the, the lack of focus on things like language, on being aware of the cultures we're speaking into, is, is, is damaging us. Mm. It seems that there should be just some black and white strategy, really, to reach people, because it's the gospel, and it's something that's simple and it's basic, and every Christian should be able to, to know it and be able to recite it and be able to communicate that with other people. Uh, but uh, the enemy is great and very crafty, and the problems that come always are are directed at a way to subvert that and move move it a little bit off center. And that's why we have to constantly be reevaluating it. We can't assume the gospel, right? We have to know that and guard it and and be able to know how our culture is responding to it, so that we can be able to communicate into that culture. Absolutely, and people are just so multifaceted. You know, but before I got married, I, I had a number of older men at my church tell me what makes what it is that makes a woman happy, <laughs> and you know, without exception, each one of them told me what it was that makes their wife happy, <laughs> and so that was that was interesting to me. But it it just showed how there's so many different ways of being married, and I I think we have this we have to kind of apply that same flexibility in our evangelism. Each person comes to Christ with a unique cultural background and a unique set of questions and issues. And yeah, Christ is the same. His message is the same, but there's these issues we have to get through on the way there that, that, that are going to be different for each culture and I, each person. I think that's one of the reasons people get discouraged in sharing their faith or discouraged in missions is because they've tried somebody else's strategy and it didn't work. And uh, they feel that uh, that sense of failure. They feel that they don't know what they're doing. And eventually they give up. And there have been many different strat strategies, not just in, in world missions, but also in talking about evangelism. This is something that really requires us to work through and to be flexible and also to understand the context of the audience that we're ministering to. Uh, that When you start to do that, when you start to do what you're really prescribing in the book, there, there is a level of excitement to see what God is doing in the midst of of his people to spread his kingdom. Absolutely. And, you know, I, 
even though I think there have been some excesses on the field, we, we still are seeing God work in surprising ways, both overseas and, and also we're seeing it here at home. But I, I think what we are experiencing now more than ever is, is a much, certainly at home, a much higher relational cost. Uh, mm. we, we are on the defensive now in a lot of relationships, and we have to endure that patiently and, and with love in order to win people's respect mm. and to, to win our right you know, for them to hear us. And overseas, I suppose it's always been that way in, to an extent. Um, but this is part of you know, the, the, the love that we extend to people in Christ. We've been talking with Matt Rhodes about his book called No Shortcut to Success, a Manifesto for Modern Missions. As we think about how to reach our own context, as well as to consider how we reach the world with our great commission to go into all the world and, and preach the gospel and make disciples. As we consider that, we must consider what God is calling us to do within our context, within our own sphere of influence. And if we're not sharing the gospel with our loved ones, if we're not sharing the gospel with our own community, what makes us think that going to a foreign country would be any easier? Uh, there needs to be a lot done here in New England and the Northeast, and this is a great call to action, as well as a call to support all missions around the world. If you'd like to find out more information about Matt Rhodes and his book, No Shortcut to Success, please give us a call, 508 362 7070. That's 508 362 7070. All week long, we've been exploring the topic of anger as we're continuing our series, A Proverb a Day in May. Timothy Keller has been helping us unpack the theme of anger and its complexity, and that's ultimately what the book of Proverbs is all about. It's calling us to explore things and see them from all the different vantage points as opposed to just having a black and white answer to everything. We need to see the complexities of life as well as the complexities of anger. The question is, how can we be angry? and sin not? Is that even humanly possible for us to, to be righteously anger, uh, angry and to act in that anger in an appropriate manner? Well, today we explore that topic as we continue our series of Proverb A Day in May with Timothy Keller. The Bible has a unique approach. It sees its basic goodness and yet its destructive and dangerous power. Well, you say, if it's really that good a thing, why is it so destructive? Huh? Why are both those things true? And that gives us, brings us to our third point. How does anger, or why does anger go wrong? Look at the second last couplet of Proverbs. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause, or use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. Ah, look at verse 29. Somebody is really angry at someone. But verse 28 says that in spite of the fact that you're angry, you don't have just cause for that anger. Now, how could that happen? How could you have anger that's disproportionate to the cause or inappropriate to the cause? Here's how it happens. Our anger is disordered. St. Augustine said the biggest problem we have is disordered loves. Disordered loves means there are many things in this world that are good, your family or your, or your job or your, a political cause or, or your accomplishments or your, your mate or whatever. There are, many good thing, there are many things in this world that are good, but we turn good things into ultimate things. We don't just love things that are good, but we, we, we look to certain things to give us the, the happiness and the significance and security and self-worth that only God can do. And when we turn good things into ultimate things, when we love good things too much, more than God, that's when our emotions get absolutely distorted. So, for example, if you break up with somebody you love, you're going to be profoundly sad. 
But if when you break up with somebody you love, you try to kill yourself, what's happened is you've turned that good thing into an ultimate thing. You've turned the person into an absolute. You've got to have it. That's the only way you'll be happy. And when that happens, when you turn a good thing into an ultimate thing, when you love something and look to something in a way you should only look to God, that's when your emotions are totally off over the top. That's when they're completely uh, uh, magnified and completely uncontrollable. They're completely disproportionate. That's what happens. Now, let's apply this to anger. If it's true that anger was originally just a form of love, disordered love creates disordered anger. And our anger is disordered in three ways. Let me just go through them rather quickly. First of all, anger is disordered in its cause. Uh, why is it that we get so much more angry if we're, if we're snubbed? We get so much more angry about a snub than we are about the injustice to a group of people in another part of the world or the city. Why? Well, St. Augustine says it's disordered love. See, there's nothing wrong with being ticked, getting angry to a degree, if somebody slights your reputation. But why are you ten times, a hundred times more angry about it than some horrible, violent injustice being done to people in another part of the world? You know why? St. Augustine said, here's why. Because you may believe in God, but if God's love is an abstraction, if what you're really looking for for your significance and security is people's approval or a good reputation or status or something like that, then when anything gets between you and the thing that you have to have, you become implacably angry. You have to have it. You go, you're, you're over the top. So you can't shrug it off. And as a result, our causes, we get angry over causes that there's certain things that get, make us incredibly angry when the cause really would be warranting only a little bit of anger. And there are other causes that, for which we ought to be incredibly angry, but because of our selfishness and our pride and our ego and our disordered loves, we're hardly angry at all. Secondly, therefore, our anger is not only distorted in terms of its cause, it's distorted in terms of its, uh, its proportion, it's always over the top, uncontrollable. And thirdly, it's disordered with regard to its goal. Loving anger always seeks to do a surgical strike on the evil. If you love, really truly love, say, your teenage or your adult child, and you see them being an idiot, you want to destroy the idiocy, not the child. That's ordered love. That's, that's good. I mean, that's, that's anger the way it should be. But in disordered anger, you don't go after the problem, you go after the person. You don't just want to rest, do restitution and justice, you want vengeance. You don't just do a surgical strike, you slash and burn. And see, there's levels to our disorder. There's levels to it. What do I mean by levels? Well, what I mean is, at the level one, there's things that just bug us every day, things that make us angry. Level two, there are things, there are betrayals and injustices and letdowns that we haven't forgotten. We haven't forgotten them. We haven't been able to totally forgive them. And you know what? Level two leads to more level one, anger. If you're a man and a woman has wronged you and you haven't totally forgiven that woman, you're going to be more quick to be angry when other, at other women. You're going to be quicker to take slights from women than men. If you are a member of a particular race or class and you were wronged by a person in another race or class and you haven't totally forgiven, that creates an anger level. Level two, it's under the surface that it makes you more prone to take slights and offense and get angry at people of that race or that class. And underneath the whole thing, there's a low level of anger toward God himself. You see, if you, and I'll get to this in a second, if you we all do. Build your life on things. I'll be happy if I have a family. I'll be happy if I have a job. I'll be happy if I have a life like this or like that. And life never gives us the things that we are building our happiness on. Then there's a low level, a bedrock of self-pity and anger against life and God that makes it hard to forget 
wrongs, that's level two, and makes it therefore easier to be slighted at level one, which of course creates fodder for level two and level three. And on and on we go. Anger is at the bottom of so many of our problems in this world, so many of your psychological problems, and you don't deny, you deny it because you don't admit it because it's the one motion that most leads to denial. And it leads to wars, and it leads to oppression, and it leads to so much of the misery in this world. Today's proverb of the day in May is Proverbs chapter 18. There are many great proverbs here, and as you can tell, all of them are great, but the one that I've selected for today is verse 10. You may have a different one, and honestly, I'd like to hear which was your favorite proverb from today. So write into us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or head over to our website at songtime.com, or find us on social media and share your favorite proverb from today. But mine is verse 10. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. This is playing on a theme here in the book of Proverbs. We see that as as wisdom is crying out in the early chapters of the book to, to, to turn into the city. Wisdom stands on the street corners, at a crossroads, at the gate of the city, inviting us to come in and find safety. Wisdom, the fear of the Lord, all of this is calling us to, to respond obediently to the commands of God. That, that all of these things have already been laid out and established within the foundations of the world in which we are living. God has worked out all of creation. He understands how creation works, and he has written the laws with wisdom. The question is, will we choose to obey it? Will we choose to respond to it? Will we turn to the Lord as our shelter and safety in this world? It seems that the world is crashing in on us, doesn't it? It always seems that the world is being tossed to and fro, and that the the rug is about to be pulled out from underneath of us. That's why I love the Proverbs, uh, or, or even the Psalms, and the Psalm 46, even if the the mountain is thrown into the midst of the sea. Do you think that that would cause a little bit of a, a shaking in the world? If a huge mountain were ripped out of its roots and thrown into the midst of the sea, not only tsunamis and floodings, but also massive earthquakes, uh, the, the imagine of, of, of a tornadoes and, and all of the devastations, hurricanes, and, and even volcanoes who, who spread lava all over the place. That, those disruptions that we face in this world are, are really just physical manifestations of what is actually happening. We are constantly on our toes. We're constantly being tossed to and fro. And yet we are invited by wisdom to come into the tower of God, a strong tower that will not be shaken. And Psalm 46 says, even though the mountains are thrown in the midst of the sea, I will not be moved. I will not be shaken because we are in Christ. We have a greater foundation. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, we have dug down to the rock and we cling to the rock, which is a firm foundation. I hope that this encourages you and hopefully challenges you to get into the book of Proverbs, to read today's proverb, Proverbs chapter 18, and to find your proverb, what is speaking to you, and share that with us. Write to us again at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. 7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study here looking at the theme of anger here in the book of Proverbs as we discover what it's there for and what it teaches us about ourselves as well 
is what it teaches us about God. What makes you angry is not what's happened to you, but what you tell yourself about what's happened to you. See, your anger comes from what you believe, not from what people are doing to you. You've got to know that. Whenever you get angry, say, what is this big thing that's so important to me that I'm defending? On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse. It's Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old. He will not depart from it.